Cam for the Nerd Book Review, where we strive to broaden your fantasy horizons. Today, we will be bringing you an author interview. We had Jay Zachary Pike on. He's the author of Orconomics, uh, a current entry in the 2018 Spiffbow competition. We had a great talk about a variety of topics, and I am excited to bring you this interview. As per usual, I'm going to get the usual spiel out of the way, and then we'll get right to the interview, and I'm going to get right back to some house renovations. You can reach us on Facebook at the Nerdbook Review Facebook page, on Twitter at the handle Nerdbook Review, via email at nerdbookreview at gmail.com. Feel free to leave us comments, reviews, questions, anything you'd like. We are going to start changing up the format a little bit and bring you... Um, some older stuff that we really enjoyed, as well as continuing our new reviews. We will have a two-part Wheel of Time series coming up, one where we will review the first novel, Eye of the World, and then one where we're going to talk with one of our buddies who, like Chris and I, uh, spent a lot of our youth reading the Wheel of Time series and has just revisited it for the first time in about 12, 13 years. Uh, Chris and I are currently listening and reading the Eye of the World at the moment. Uh, If you are a fan of Wheel of Time or you have read it in the past and had some questions that maybe you don't remember quite as well as you think you do, for example, one question I have is, does Nynaeve really tug on her hair as often as I remember it? Uh, Questions like that would be wonderful that we will ask Eric when we do the full Wheel of Time recap episode. We're going to have a four-part Dragonlance versus Forgotten Realms one as well. Chris was a Dragonlance fan growing up, and I was a Forgotten Realms. And with the new Drist du Erden book that R.A. Salvatore has released, we're going to talk about the two series. Uh, and also, it I am um, hopeful that we'll have an author interview with R.A. Salvatore. So... Without further ado, after all that speaking at you, uh, if you'd be so kind as to leave a rating and review on iTunes if you enjoy the podcast, and I will get right to Mr. Pike. Thank you. The Nerdbook Review is happy to welcome author J. Zachary Pike. He is the author of the Dark Prophet Saga series, and we are happy to welcome him to the podcast tonight. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. I am a uh, consummate nerd. I've been a, a gamer for most of my life. Um, and at some point in high school, I started uh, wanting to do more than just read uh, Tolkien and Pratchett and all those great books. I wanted to, I wanted to write stories. Uh, and I've been kind of uh, obsessively writing in my basement ever since then. Um, so I, I play a lot of games and I, uh, I write fiction. That's awesome, and I think we're uh, pretty close in age. Uh, I think you're late thirties. I'm about about that getting that way. How dare you, sir? No, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were the games that you grew up playing then? And oh man, uh, let me see. When I was when I was really young, we used to be into Final Fantasy and all the JRPGs. Um, you know, I just I just thought those were like the height of storytelling, and that was you know what, what was called in the U.S. Final Fantasy II. I remember as being really uh, really uh, influential, and I, I played all of those. Um, I, I skipped to PlayStation. I kind of stuck with Nintendo. So a lot of Mario, a lot of Zelda. Still have a big thing going for Zelda. 
Um, and then, you know, uh, at some point I, I jumped on the Blizzard bandwagon. I don't think I played the first Warcraft, but, uh, you know, I played Warcraft 2, I played Warcraft 3, and then World of Warcraft, and all the, all the crafts. And then, uh, you know, the stars and everything like that. Uh, and then uh, I also dabbled in tabletop gaming. I uh, assembled a couple of different Games Workshop uh, armies. You know, I had a I had a good orc army for a while. Did some did some Space Marines. Uh, put together some Lizardmen for classic fantasy battle. And I played uh, I played D and D a bit as well. Although I think um, as was fairly common for the time, it was hard to find a really solid group of players so no offense to anyone i ever played D with I, I was not a particularly great player myself i think we uh you know we always wanted to play we read a lot about it we rolled a lot of characters we ate a lot of cheetos um but i don't think any quests were actually completed everything ended in disaster <laughs> yeah you know that was one thing i never did get uh, uh, too much into until i was actually much older uh more like my 30s but yeah yeah but between uh, Warcraft uh, 2 and uh, World of Warcraft, I definitely have uh, too many thousands of hours <laughs> invested in those two games. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. Who were some of your reading influences then growing up? So when I was really young, I used to read a lot of uh, Tolkien. Um, and uh, you know, among the aforementioned uh, uh, gar- card games I played was... Uh, was uh, Iron Crown's uh, Middle-Earth card game. And that got me... I, I had read the whole series, but that got me really into the series. And I would I would read not only Tolkien's works, but I would read the books about his works. Uh, so there was there was kind of just a lot of uh, that kind of classic fantasy, um, you know. The, and uh, as I as I kind of got older, I got more into the funny stuff. Um, I actually, oddly enough, there I can't even tell you the author, but there's a book called The Platypus of Doom. Um, which is really a book (laughs) and my father had it on his bookshelf and it was like this, it was just a a really ridiculous, funny sci-fi book. So I read that and I enjoyed it. And then someone told me about Douglas Adams. Uh, and I read, uh, I actually read Dirk Gently before I read Hitchhiker's Guide, but I really liked Dirk Gently. And then, uh, somewhere along the line, someone said, well, you should try Terry Pratchett. Um, and I started reading Terry Pratchett and, uh, you know, by far my, my favorite author, I, I've read a, a ton of Pratchett's work. Uh, I think almost everything. Um, so that, th- those would be the big ones, you know, really Pratchett and Tolkien with some, uh, sci-fi humor thrown in there as well. Yeah, I can absolutely see, uh, especially the Pratchett with your writing with that, that humor. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I it's, uh, I do occasionally get readers who compare me to Pratchett and, um, it, I, I'm certainly honored and, and, and uh, humbled by it. I, I don't think it's uh, quite fair at this point in my career because the guy <laughs> wrote like, what, 40-something books and, uh, and most of them were amazing. Yeah. So, um, so I, I mean, I, I, think, uh, I think it's always really flattering whenever someone reads my work and says, hey, you remind me of him. And, uh, you know, certainly I'd, I'd love to uh, follow in his footsteps given, you know, another three decades of writing or so. <laughs> With the books that you've written so far, uh, Orconomics, and you have written the sequel for that, correct? I know that it's the part of the saga. Yep, Son of a Lich, book two. Yep. Okay, and with the two of those, are those your the first books that you wrote, or do you have some books uh, hidden away somewhere that uh, you didn't quite uh, feel were up to it, or you just haven't gotten finished yet? I have a couple of novellas out, um, you know, where I've, I originally, uh, I, I was writing Orconomics, um, and the Dark Prophet saga is based on this story that I've been writing and rewriting for myself since I was, since I was pretty young. Um, and I, I, I knew I wanted to launch Orconomics 
quote unquote right, and I still launched it wrong. But uh, in in the meantime, I, I did decide to do a practice book. So I wrote a book called The Cabal of Thotash, which I'm still uh, pretty fond of. Um, it's more Lovecraftian, but it's it's funny. It's a humor book. Uh, so I, I put that out there, and then uh, I've also. Uh, somewhere along the way, decided it would be a good idea to have a uh, free book so people could sample my work. And I wrote a story called Death and Taxes. But those, both of those are, I mean, they're novelettes. They're, I think, uh, 10, 11,000 words each. They're not, they're not terribly long. Um, and the other thing I've, I've discovered as, a, uh, as an author is that a genre mismatch is a, a kind of a big deal. So when, you, when your flagship series is fantasy humor and uh, your, your small free books are... Um, Lovecraftian urban urban fantasy humor. Uh, there are some readers who are like, well, we'll just read whatever you write, and they'll they'll make the jump. But um, there are a lot more readers who are like, well, I, d- I don't really like Lovecraft. I, w- I want to read about orconomics, or even a few who've said, well, I really like this urban stuff, but I don't want to go read your epic fantasy kind of humor. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you if you thought that that had helped, but it sounds like it's been a little bit of a mixed bag then. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely it, it does it did no harm. It, it taught me how to uh, self-publish books, and um, and uh, it taught me a lot of uh, a, a lot of good lessons. And it, you know, I, I do think that I've probably acquired a few readers over the course of the time who have picked up the freebies and said, "Well, we'll, we'll give uh, Orconomics a shot." Um, but certainly, if I had been smarter, uh, <laughs> would I would have written something set on uh, Arth, which is the world of the Dark Prop profit saga and uh, i think that would have brought a lot more readers in awesome well can you tell us about the uh, dark profit saga then and organomics and uh, give us maybe a little synopsis or overview of the book sure uh so the dark profit saga i i don't think it's unique to say that uh, i looked at i looked at fantasy gaming and kind of the dungeons and dragons tropes and said hey what if this was a business model i i think that quite a few folks have said that and you know you'll there are there are numerous comics and books that do a great job of uh, uh, taking taking the adventuring hero party and turning it into a, a business a profession. Um, but I tried to kind of extrapolate it out to the nth degree and said, well, if it really was a profession and there really was a bunch of wandering monsters around sitting on huge heaps of gold, well, eventually investors would get in, in, interested in this uh, money making opportunity and, and kind of extrapolate it out from there. So Arth is. Uh, is dominated by the capitalist society of the Freedlands, um, which is essentially just uh, an entire economy built on professional heroics. People who go into dungeons and kill monsters and take their money uh, and then split that money up with the people who invested in it. And of course, if uh, someone can invest in it, then large co- companies are going to get involved and there are, there are plunder funds, which are kind of these uh, hedge, fun- hedge fund conglomerates of uh, different hordes and, and all of that stuff. So the economics is kind of key to the story um, because I find economics so personally interesting, but it's all wrapped around a really good, strong fantasy epic. Um, and, and some fun characters and, and funny satire. Yeah. Sorry, one sec. Brandon, please. Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I really enjoyed Gorm as a, a character. I think that uh, you have the mix of the, that he was a berserker at one point, so you kind of you know just imagine that mindless uh, a fury. But he really does do a lot of thinking during this book, and is that something that you kind of uh, was, was part of that whole uh, satire as well, just... At, the um, the difference between who he used to be and who he is now. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's, uh, that that 
particular aspect of Gorm um, is something that I, I kind of uh, take from personally. I, you know, when I was a teenager, especially that, that kind of aspect of, you know, someone just gets so angry and feels so emotionally strongly about some, someone that they can draw, draw uh, emotional power from that. I think that's just a really good uh, storytelling technique. But I also think that if you just have like a, a totally berserk character all the time, they're not, they're not terribly interesting. Those kind of one note violent uh, uh, people. So, um, and, and also, I mean, when I, when I wrote the first drafts of these books many, many years ago, Gorm was kind of a fresh faced young dwarf and just entering the world. But I, I got older and wiser and a little more bitter. And, and so did he <laughs> as the drafts went on. <laughs> so, so I think that's kind of how that came about. Yeah. Well, hopefully you didn't uh, wake up in the ditch too often. <laughs> Only once. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess you've done a little bit of living then. <laughs> so, with you know, one thing that I really like about the the story is that uh, a lot of times, a lot of these uh, um, books will have like these these ruins, like you're talking about, that uh, are just sitting around. And I've always thought that governments would. Um, would want to get some cut of it, you know, some part of that take. And it's always seemed funny that there's always all these ruins already, you know, sitting around in different worlds. Uh, I'll tell you what really sparked that idea um, was Diablo 2. Uh, I'm not sure if that's one of the ones you played. I played a lot of Diablo 2 in college, and I ran into the, the pygmy levels where there are a bunch of uh, tiny little, I think they're technically undead, pygmies who shoot you with darts and throw things at you and at a certain point it just occurred to me that i'm like running around this this civilization really i've I've, i'm running into their homeland i'm shooting giant shards of ice everywhere that's like just laying waste wiping out entire tribes of people and fountains of gold are just like flying everywhere because it's diablo 2 and when you killed someone in diablo 2 you know that literally like the, the treasure would just spout out of them uh, like like glittering gore almost, and I, I, I it just kind of occurred to me that like I'm just laying waste to civilization, and there's all this money in it. <laughs> if that was actually the case, so many you know, like if there were really these these tiny, relatively weak people sitting out there just on top of you know goo gobs of cash, so many people would have come through already and, and cleaned them out, and you know like made made a living off of it. And that that's kind of where that that uh, that idea came from. <laughs> Yeah, I certainly put a few hours into Diablo 2 as well. Um, how did you decide on uh, the rest of, uh, I guess, kind of the makeup of um, Gorm and, and uh, his group as he's moving along? I know you have, um, most of them are either washed up or uh, you have a, uh, I guess, not an alcoholic, but a drug addict elf, his, his crew that he has with him. How did you decide on them? Well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd go back again to the, just the, the evolution of this story. Um, I, I really started with uh, this, this band of characters. And when I, when I originally wrote the book, uh, again, as a teenager, um, was, you know, Dragonlance was still cool back then. You know, I re- I'd read all the Dragonlance books and I was, uh, maybe it is still cool, but like back then it was really the bee's knees. Um, and I, I'd read Drist de Erden, or however you say that, by uh, R.A. Salvatar. You know, I, I was I was really into uh, um, all those things. So I earnestly created kind of the stereotypical D&D party. Um, 
And then as you, again, you get older, you get wiser, you start revising this thing and you say, well, well, geez, this has been a, a done over and over. How am I going to make it more interesting? So for the most part, these characters were kind of started as stereotypes and then, uh, you know, kind of their more interesting history uh, and relationships and things like that were layered in. And in some cases I had, I had started spinoff books and I just, you know, whole hail can't cannibalized the coolest parts of the characters from those books and kind of um, merged them with, with the main party over time. Um, you know, I, some of them were more deliberate than others, like with, uh, with Kesa, the elf. Um, she, I, I think in most books, elves are depicted as really perfect and graceful and beautiful and just, you know, so on top of everything. And, and I kept all that. I didn't want to say, well, this elf is a total screw up. She is really professionally competent. She is very beautiful. She can move with grace. Um, but she kind of got sick of success. Uh, it w- wasn't really fulfilling for her. She took up drinking. And then, as you said, uh, uh, drugs. She got addicted to healing potions. Um, and, and it kind of adds this really interesting dynamic where she's not a loser. She's been too successful to be a loser, but she's definitely also kind of on a downward spiral as far as her career is uh, going. And it, it made for a more interesting character. So there's definitely that dynamic for for some of them. Um, you know, for for others like uh, Haraldin. When I was I was when I was younger, it was just way more funny to be kind of lecherous and skeevy. That's just the way the culture was, and I don't mean <laughs> to make excuses for it, but. That's how people thought. And I, I, as I got older, I would have a woman I know, like my sister or my friends, uh, read the books. And they'd be like, eh, he's not funny. He's obnoxious. And then I would read the books. And I, you know, when I was young, I'd be like, well, this, why is that obnoxious? And now that I'm older, I'm like, that's kind of obnoxious. And if I, I go back and look at the, the first drafts of the book, and I'm just I'm embarrassed of them, really. So for him, it was more like sanding down those edges and just, uh, you know, he's still he's still pretty lecherous. But uh, not not in the same way. I think uh, I think he he's uh, he's definitely mellowed out um, as as uh, kind of social norms have changed. Uh, I think the only character who really went over underwent a major metamorphosis, though the the one who really kind of stands out to me is um, in the original drafts of the book. I just had a real hard time motivating the party to go and do something good, and I wanted this big kind of emotional payoff and. Um, in just one of my earlier drafts and early iterations of the story, uh, Gorm and his party were sitting around a campfire and a mouse came out and, uh, you know, someone stepped on the mouse uh, and, and, and killed the mouse. And that, you know, like they kind of thought, well, if this can happen to a mouse, why not? You know, it, and I, I meant it for it to be this big, deep transformational thing where they realized they were standing up for the little guy. And, it, you know, I go back and look at it and I'm like, oh, someone killed a rodent. And for some reason they cared. Um, so I needed a new character for people to really care about, uh, for something bad to happen to. And I'm not going to go any more spoilery than that, but you know, there's a, there's a character in the book who, who, uh, who I think you get pretty attached to, and then something really horrible happens to him. And, um, you know, it, it becomes a big motivator for the rest of the crew, uh, to, uh, to, um, you know, work past that. And so, uh, you know, I, I think I, when I look at the story, I think that's probably the character who's, who's the most new and who has changed the most. Well, that's cool. I, I really love to, to hear how, um, how things evolved over time as you were writing your characters. Now I have read a 
um, quite a few of the uh, like satire type books, like yours definitely is. But I think that um, most of the time, even if they're uh, fairly well written, for me, the satire books just top out at about a four stars out of five, just because I just I feel like generally there is they're missing something. And I think that your book, though, it it has that heart. And I don't know if it was the the way that you have that structure. Uh, the reason that I, I... I mean, it's a solid five out of five for me. And I really enjoyed your novel. And th- was that something that, um, that just evolved over time as well then? Or do you think that uh, just the, the way that you um, wrote the novel in general... Um, had that heart just baked into it, or was that something that evolved over time? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for saying that. That's uh, that's really great to hear, and I appreciate it. Um, I think when I approach these books, I try to tell a, a serious story, as odd as that may sound, and I cannot help myself from making jokes. So um, it, as long as I've been writing, even when I'm was writing papers that were supposed to be serious or business emails or anything like that. If I spot a good joke, I can't not slip it in. It's compulsive. Um, so anything I write is going to be funny to me. I, I won't say it would be funny to anyone else, but it's going to be funny to me because if I spot an opportunity for humor, I'll take it. Um, and so that frees you, uh, when you, when you kind of say, I'm just going to let the humor come as it will. Um, and, and and that's not to say I don't you know work at getting more in there, but you know when you, when you say that's going to be something that just happens, what you're left with is well, what story am I going to tell? And I think I, I think some um, greener humor author, authors will say, well, it doesn't matter; it just has to be funny. Um, and I. I, I, I say that without disrespect. I can look at some novels by authors I really respect and wound up loving their body of work and say, I, I don't think this book was written with a plot in mind. It was written just to be funny. Um, you know, I feel, I honestly, I feel that way about uh, Pratchett's first couple of books, like uh, The Light Fantastic and Color of Magic. They're, they're definitely funny. They're definitely silly. Uh, the plot isn't as rich and robust as it is in some of his later work. I think it's. I think that's a mistake. I think you say, okay, it's going to be funny. I have these ideas. I can bake some humor into my world building. I can do some overall funny things. I have these ideas for hilarious scenes, and I'm going to get them in there. But setting all that aside, what is the story, and who are the characters, and why will the reader care about any of them? Because if it's just to see the next joke, um, you know, I think I think that gets a little a little tiring. It just uh, it, it feels a little empty. It falls a little flatter. And if you're really seriously trying to tell a good story, and then it's funny on top of that. That's where you get into, for me, some of those those better works, the Dark Gentleys or you know Thief of Time, Small Gods. They're they're hilarious, yes, um, but you're also attached and uh, and uh, you kind of fall in love with the world. Yeah, that's absolutely. You know, I, I never, I seriously don't think that I have ever uh, really thought about that and and the reason why. But yeah, I truly did care about your characters and. Um, each and every one of them, and I and I think that, like you said, the the book is certainly funny, and there I love that it's uh, mostly a dry humor. There's a lot of things that aren't necessarily funny to, especially Gorm, but that the reader is going to think is funny. And but but yeah, they were real characters who weren't just uh, you didn't feel like you just put situations there just so that you could tell a joke. Right. 
And yeah, I absolutely. Yeah, and I don't think I ever really thought about that as to why that, uh, as a general rule, I'm like, you know what, I liked this book, but it's just not going to get a five star from me. And I don't think I'd ever really put two and two together there as far as to why yours got that five star from me. Um, where do you plan on going into the future with uh, this series or with anything uh, else that you're going to write? So um, the Dark Prophet saga is a trilogy. Um, I, like I said, I've, I've, I'm, I think I'm, you know, I'm on the first draft of book three, but I've written the entire storyline that I wanted to cover at least eight times. So I know how things end, and uh, it's going to end that way. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna complete the saga. Um, I think at that point I'm gonna try to do a few things that are a little commercially smarter. I don't want to sacrifice the, the the quality of the work at all, but right now I'm I'm just saying I'm gonna write these stories until they're the story they need to be to tell this particular saga. And if that means it's 190,000 words, well. All my print costs will double. My editing expenses will double. I will release books once every four years instead of you know once a month like other indie authors do. You know, like I'm writing these <laughs> absolutely gargantuan books that uh, economically are hard to sustain because you know in order to make them you know at all feasible, you have to charge more than a lot of readers um, want to pay. So I think my next step will be to say, how can I write some some shorter stuff? But I plan to stay on Arth. Um, I'd like to write a couple of prequels uh, to guide people into this series. And then I do have ideas for ways that I could explore some of the characters in the Dark Prophet saga after uh, after uh, the Dark Prophet saga. Um, you know, but but it will be just some. I mean, for for some of the characters, their their story is going to end uh, here, and and they just uh, you know. No spoilers. If they survive, they just wouldn't be as interesting anymore. That's cool. And I really do like it when authors, if they've created their own world, that they actually stick with it. Because I feel like sometimes people just put so much work into uh, building that world. And then you write like two or three books and then they move on from there. And you're just like, you know, if it works, then it's it's something that uh, I think will bring me back to an author over and over again. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think, and that's one of the things I like about satire um, is that uh, it, it gives you ideas for how can I incorporate this into my world? How can I take this aspect of what I'm experiencing in life or seeing in the news and and, and bring it into the world? So um, by making the world funny and, and, and leveraging satire, I, I, th- I can see a lot of kind of themes I'd like to explore um, moving forward. And, and and then beyond that, it's it's kind of this dual, you know, how inspired am I? Am I am I enjoying writing on Earth? As long as I am, you know, why would and and as long as readers are enjoying reading about it, you know, it's still getting picked up, and people are saying, all right, the next the next Earth book. Then there's really, in my mind, no reason to to jump ship. I know, you know, for some authors, it sometimes they get to their second or third world before they find success, and you know. You know, more power to them. You know, you you gotta you gotta go with what works. But if it's working and it's inspiring, then you know, why why reinvent the the world? Yeah, you mentioned one thing that you might have to to change up a little bit to have uh, more commercial success. But I it seems like you have quite a few reviews for an indie author though with Orconomics. I think it's uh, one of the higher uh, reviewed books in uh, the Spiffo competition, at least. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm I'm really happy with. Um, the 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 readership I have, and I, I don't mean to sound ungrateful or anything oh, like no, that. I, 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 yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm very happy um, with kind of how the books have performed. I think it's more my capacity to um, produce them and the way a release schedule goes. Uh, one thing I discovered when you release the second book is that generates a wonderful new burst of attention for the first book. Um, you know, you get a lot more uh, sales, a lot more people talking about stuff. And then, um, you know, as, as time goes on, the people who are reading the book finish. I, I still am selling books and everything like that. But that that burst of novelty fades because new books are coming out. And that's where, you know, the market is, is paying attention. And certainly, you know, the digital revolution, as great as it's been for indie authors, um, you know, as the technology continues to, to change, that trend is accelerating. So there's this kind of, I think, balance to be struck. There are indie authors out there who are just putting out a book a month and some of them may be writing amazing stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to overgeneralize. I've read some of the books out there that I feel are kind of becoming the new pulp and there's nothing wrong with pulp fiction, you know, pulp back in the thirties and forties or whenever, you know, generated a lot of uh, amazing stories that kind of live on in our popular culture. It's, it's great. People are entertained. They're entertained, um, you know, on, on a relative budget. It's, it's a good thing, but being a pulp writer means that you have to produce a lot of work very fast um, over, you know, and launch a lot of stuff. So I don't want to go that far. I don't, I don't want to say, oh, you know, I got to get to the point where I'm publishing a book a month. But on the flip side, you know, a four-year gap between all your books, there's definitely some readers who picked up Orconomics back in, say, 2016. And by the time I punished, or published uh, Son of a Lich, they were like, who? What was that? <laughs> I'm, on to, I'm on to this other series now. I'm, you know, you, you lose people. So I want to get to a place where I can write roughly, you know, at the same speed or even a little faster, but, but not, you know, not crazy fast. I can just go faster um, and still publish books you know, within a reasonable time frame. And when, when you're, you know, I'm looking at this latest draft and I've, I've, I've figured out some cool new ways to kind of project how long it's going to be. And, uh, you know, any given day, the projection for the length of the novel is between 190 and 210,000 words. And for a lot of authors who are doing really good, really respectable work with really large followings, that is somewhere between three and four books. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, so for me to say, well, no, that's that's just one means that I'm going to get one release when they they could get three. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get one burst of attention when they could get three. So just um, planning the stories to be a little shorter, a little more concise, or or, or structured in such a way that they, they balance out over a, a, you know, a, a bigger series of books. Whereas with the Dark Prophet saga, honestly, all the thing used to be one book, and it was just massive. Um, and still didn't go in, in depth as far as I wanted to in some themes. And so I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to split these things out. But I had these three arcs, and I said, I'm just going to take as long as it takes to tell these three arcs. Um, and as I get more into it, I get more ver verbose, and the books are just they're getting way too long um, to, to kind of be sustainable in the long run. Fair enough. Uh, you've, you've talked quite a bit about uh, the balance that you need to find as an indie author how has your uh, self-publishing experience been like? And did you initially send these out through the query system or did you plan on going self-published from the beginning? Um, so I think a long, long time ago, I used to think about getting an agent and getting a publisher kind of before self-publishing became a thing. Um, but they would always, you know, you, whenever, whenever you talk to someone or hear someone talk or read about it, uh, kind of the theme you would hear is, 
you need to network well, you need to talk to lots of people and kind of put yourself out there. And I was like, well, if I was good at that, I'd be on dates and not in my basement writing about orcs and dwarves. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I just, it, it, the idea of uh, using, using kind of uh, social skills and pressure to, m you know, maneuver your way up a chain and, and, and uh, have someone else kind of validate your work was always really intimidating. And, I, you know, honestly, like when I was really young, the financial aspect wasn't so strong in the books or wasn't there at all, honestly, in many, in many cases. And I would, I would just say, you know, like, this is, this is not gelling yet. And then when I found the financial theme, um, you know, around 2008, I'm like, this, this is exciting for me. This is really, um, you know, it's interesting. It, it weaves in satire in a way that I haven't really seen done before. I'm, I'm excited about this, but I, I just thought to myself, man, going out to a, a New York publisher and saying, Hey, I wrote a book that's kind of like Terry Pratchett and kind of like Tolkien, but I've got a lot of accounting woven in. Um, you know, <laughs> just didn't seem like a winning pitch to me. Um, and I, 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 I was pretty convinced that it wasn't going to go anywhere. And I, I kind of eventually said to myself, I'm just going to put the book out there. I'm going to give it my best shot because um, the self-publishing uh, movement was starting up. I was like, this is a way for me to get in front of some readers and see what they say. And if I write all three books and all three flop, I can say I tried. I was an author for a little while um, and it didn't work out. And that's to me is a much better thing to say than uh, I got nervous and I never tried. I, I had great ideas, but I, I buried them because I was scared people would reject it. Um, so I, I just kind of, for me, it was a way to, to throw it out there and see what sticks. And, you know, for the first couple of years, uh, not a lot did stick. I didn't, I didn't sell a lot of books in a couple of, in the first couple of years. Um, but over time people started to notice it and won an award. Uh, Amazon's algorithms picked it up for whatever reason, you know, somewhere deep in the bowels of their servers, something clicked and, um, started recommending the book more often. And then, you know, and it's been a really uh, good run since then. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think that, uh, that's how I initially saw it before, um, before the, uh, you entered it into Spiffbo. Uh, it was actually one of my, uh, one of my other reviewers who saw it on Amazon and thought, Hey, this looks really cool. You should see if we can read this. And I thought, yeah, that is a cool premise. And then I went on a good reads and uh, looked it up and saw that you, um, you had some good reviews, and I read the uh, general premise of it and thought, man, this would be pretty cool. And then once you entered it into Spiffbo, I was like, oh, that's awesome, because I really do enjoy following the, the, the Spiffbo competition. Um, who has your book? What, what, uh, what group are you in? So I'm in booknest.eu, um, which is... Uh, I don't know. Every author I talk to is like, oh, we're in the group of death. And I was like, I thought I was in the group of death. So <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's very intimidating. Um, I, I, I know that if you look at the number of ratings and the level of ratings, Orconomics fares work very well um, when, when compared with a lot of books out there. And I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. And uh, I'm, I'm glad all my fans could do that you still can strike one person the wrong way. You know, I still get, I still get two, one, two star reviews where someone just says, you know, I really didn't like this book or something near the end struck me, you know, and it, it just, it was too, too much and I didn't like it. Um, and you never know, you know, when, when basically you're handing it to one judge, you never know when that you're just going to hit that judge the wrong way and they could, they could cut you right away. So, um, it's, it's very nerve wracking. Most of the other co contests I I've entered, I can fail privately, right? You know, I, I send out <laughs> the money, I send out the book and 
if I don't win, no one knows. Um, but with this one, you know, if, if and when uh, the knife falls, then, um, you know, everyone, everyone will see it. Um, but that being said, the community has been great. It's really been uh, wonderful talking to other authors. I actually entered because a couple of people uh, reviewed my book and said, you know, you need to you need to get involved with this. So and I, and I was like, well, I, I guess I, I guess I should give it a shot. And uh, since then, I've, I've been connecting with a lot of uh, talented people. And it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I have really enjoyed just as an outsider uh, interviewing authors um, in the competition. And um, I really do think that uh, that your book has a shot uh, just based off of what I've uh, seen from, you know, the past and other uh, um, what has made it, you know, to the to the finals. And um, I would be shocked if it wasn't a, a semifinalist. But of course, I am not uh, affiliated with BookNest in any way. So, <laughs> you know, never know what could happen. That's what makes it exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about before we get all of your uh, social media stuff into one place? You know, I, I think uh, the only other thing I'd say is I, I mentioned a couple of uh, a couple of stories um, uh, earlier, and and uh, if you if you pop on my website, you can you can get a copy for free. So if it's uh, www.jzacharypikes, uh, you can get a free copy of the Kabbalah of Thotash. So if uh, if anything sounds intriguing and you want to just uh, see what's up, there's uh, some fun Lovecraftian parody there for you. Sounds good. And where else can you be reached? So I am at J. Zachary Pike on Twitter, uh, Facebook slash J. Zachary Pike. This is all remarkably consistent. Um, J. Zachary Pike dot <laughs> com. Uh, I think that's those are probably the best ones. I'm most responsive usually on Facebook. Uh, I do try to reply to tweets uh, and, and email is always welcome. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so very much for coming on the pod today. And uh, for anyone listening, I do recommend reading Orconomics. I was a big fan. And I look forward to reading the rest of the books in the series. Thank you so much, Cameron. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and have a good night. You too.